This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is a Sunday kind of love. Welcome, I'm Maya Tan. We've got quite an exciting show today as we explore the underground film industry in Malaysia. Now, when I say underground, I don't exactly mean that they're taboo, like snuff films or pornography, for example. I mean the kinds of films that Malaysians want to make that won't see financial success in the mainstream industry or that would not otherwise get through local censorship. We had a chance to speak to Nadira Ilana, the curator of a film showcase recently entitled Film Film Underground and eavesdrop on conversations held at a panel discussion featuring FINA's Director General Datuk Kamil Othman, Redcom's founder Lina Tan, producer-director Wu Ming Jin, Doghouse 73 Pictures' James Lee and filmmaker Rewan Ishak. Now at the panel, the central question was can Malaysian filmmakers make their dream films in Malaysia? And next, I certainly want to highlight a few of the films shown at Film Film Underground so you get a chance to listen to the stellar variety and quality of Malaysian films. This episode would not have been possible without the contribution of Josie Liu from the weekend team here at BFM. Thank you, Josie. Now, first up, we caught up with Nadira Ilana, who curated Film Film Underground. She's in Sabah right now working on a new project and she tells us why the showcase came about. Finas wanted to do sort of like a short film screening to highlight the Festival Film Malaysia that was just coming up and also to uh, have short films you know, shown to the public and so that the public would sort of like kind of gain awareness about the about our local independent filmmakers. Um, the thing is, like with the new director general of Finas, uh, Dr. Kamil Osman, he's very supportive of the independent Malaysian film scene. And so, uh, since I've been organizing working twi- working title film drinks for the last um, two years, working title film drinks is sort of like a filmmakers sort of like get together, um, just networking kind of event, uh, which we've just been running very casually. Anyways. So Datu Kamil asked if I could do a short film screening uh, on behalf of FINAS, or at least program it, and that's how Film Film Underground uh, came about. Well, I selected the films sort of based on... um, Well, I try to be as diverse as possible in terms of choosing the films. Some of the films that were chosen had received a short film grant from FINAS, Hujan Panas, Defan Norman's Kakasi, and Magat Sharizal's Budak Baru. And then for the rest of them, uh, they were either from up-and-coming uh, independent filmmakers or uh, more seasoned independent Malaysian filmmakers like Lee Seng Tat. One of the biggest questions I wanted to ask Nadira was who Film Film Underground reached out to. According to Nadira, she wanted to reach out to audiences beyond the usual suspects of film students, filmmakers, actors, directors and producers. And she tells us why. Um, I think it was pretty good. I know that we had a very good turnout. I mean, the seats were constantly full. I mean, we had beanbags kind of laid out. Uh, we ended up just doing it as like an open space, you know, with beanbags. We didn't want to actually have to close off the room or make it too formal, whereby we would only attract people who were interested in films. We wanted to be able to sort of generate a new audience so that people would sort of just stroll into the space and then sit down and watch the films and be able to come back and watch the films later because all nine films were playing on rotation over the course of two days. 
I guess that I wanted people to know, looking at through looking at the programs, but and also through our social media co- uh, contest, I really wanted people to sort of get to know who these fil- filmmakers are and what their films are. Um, I mean, that's why we, when you when you look at the programs, like they were quite detailed, showing like where the films have traveled, uh, which uh, what was the portfolio of each filmmaker, because I feel like the problem right now is just that. Malaysia still doesn't really have much of a film culture, and we don't actually know who are the Malaysians who are representing, you know, our um, who are representing us in film festivals internationally. It was really exciting to know that people were saying, "Hey, I really like this film. Where's this filmmaker? Can I meet them?" And so I kind of, kind of so we were kind of just there, just like pointing out, "Hey, the director is here." So people were really excited to be able to sort of meet the filmmakers face to face. Of course, the Malaysian film industry is not new, but I believe there was a time where our films were more honest and more reflective of our true culture. If you look at P. Ramli films, for example, the drama was always heightened, but the themes reflected the times. And looking at our movie culture today, the films that make the mainstream always happen to be slapstick comedy or horror or a combination of comedy and horror. And of late, the well-known formulas in mainstream Hollywood films have been woven into the tapestry of our movie landscape. Nadira takes the view that perhaps Malaysian filmmakers are caged in. Um, it's a little bit of a heavy topic, but I thought that it's one that uh, hasn't really been discussed before. Oftentimes people talk about you know, uh, these film forums, like how to develop the industry, how to develop the industry, and we constantly talk about the problems. I wasn't really interested in that so much. I was kind of interested in sort of um, highlighting, you know, like when it comes to independent Malaysian films, right, um, it's very hard to actually screen the films back here, or they're not really, or, or in the past they haven't really been well, they haven't really been promoted so much in Malaysia itself. Um, but then these are the films that I have actually got, like the films of Wu Mingjin, Ho Yu Hang, Lee Sing Tat, Tan Shui Mui, you know, uh, that uh, James Lee, that that entire wave has kind of gone abroad. You know, their films have gone to Rotterdam, gone to Cannes, gone to Venice and everywhere, uh, Berlin. But then we kind of don't know about them back home. And at home, they would be some of their films would be subject to scrutiny. Um, so you sort of see Malaysian filmmakers, especially like Ming Jin. Wu Ming Jin is really interesting, I, I feel, in this respect, uh, because... He does his telemovies. I mean, uh, he does his telemovies under like a different name, uh, but then he will sort of do the films that really push boundaries that you know can't be shown in Malaysia, uh, but he'll do them for an international audience. So I guess the question was with regards to censorship um, and also to creative uh, freedom. Can Malaysians make the films that they want to make? Can we go around censorship? Are we self-censoring ourselves, or uh, do we have to inevitably? Make films for instant, like make honest films about Malaysia, you know, for an overseas audience. Filmmaker Rewan Ishak has had great success with his short film Passport Express going viral on the YouTube rounds. His response to censorship is this For me, censorship is just, it pushes me to be more creative. Because here in Malaysia, we know we're not going you know, to make a movie with like 15 shades of grey or something. If it involves some politics, just, yeah. You have to, to go through all this, uh, you know, uh, bureaucracy, whatever. But so far, I'm okay. YouTube generation so far, okay. We have a YouTube. If you censor our movies, it's always YouTube. 
it's a very common argument, you know, and in many ways this has always this is true, especially if you look at film noir as a genre as well. That entire genre was sort of like formed out of uh, response to the Hays Code in 1930. Anybody who knows kind of like your basic film history knows that lah. In the Malaysian respect, it has to be discussed a lot further, because the thing is like the guidelines in Malaysia are extremely loose. Um, and the, there's a lot of um, things like the, censor, the people in the censorship board are constantly changing. But, I mean, that's one, that's one thing. Uh, but it's also another thing to ask filmmakers, you know, like, are we censoring ourselves? You know, and by censoring ourselves or, by, or having audience members who, you know, will complain about the films, then that would actually affect our industry as well. Uh, so it's kind of a very sort of ambiguous game. Um, but at the moment, I think, um, I mean, and quoting Dato Kamil here, like the, I, I don't think that it's the hugest concern because um, in some time, like in some respects, especially with regards to independent Malaysian films, uh, they've been quite lenient. Uh, but then there are other circumstances where, where they haven't. You kind of have to sort of look at it, it, it. It's a bit of a luck of the draw kind of thing. But um, I think the bigger concern for the industry at the moment is that are we creating like films of an international standard are we actually telling good stories and i think that's where a lot of the focus is at the moment we're not i don't think the industry is as worried at the moment about film censorship although it is a bit quite unfair when um entire films are banned but other films are allowed to be screened like tanda putra wasn't banned but then you would ban a film like new village when they're kind of almost the same thing James Lee, founder of Doghouse 73 Pictures, however, has gotten so jaded about it all to the point that filmmaking is now no longer his main profession. The dream of making films so good, I could be a professional and earn a living, I think it's kind of like barely sustainable in Malaysia. So, but as long as I love filmmaking, you know, I don't give up on the passion and the craft. You know, it doesn't cost a lot of money, you just need your own time. I think that's much more satisfying for me as a filmmaker. And with that comes the perennial discussion about sustainability as a filmmaker in Malaysia and the discussions around budget. While filmmaker may no longer be James Lee's job title, it still remains a passion. And his solution to the no-budget question is, dream small. I think we should stop dreaming big. Especially for the young filmmakers, you should dream small. You want to make a film, get anything that can shoot, you know, decent, and then shoot tomorrow and see what happens, you know. Don't wait on the traditional method. You raise your fund for a short film, you, know? you get your two hand truck, your actors, and all this blah blah blah, and then you spend one year on one short film. I think that's too slow for Malaysia to actually progress. You know? Because filmmaking is actually a very physical activity. The more you do it, the more you learn, and the better you become. For James, I think this means that things have kind of come full circle for him. I remember working without pomp or ceremony in one of his first films ever, Sniper, which also stars BFM's own Sherat Kutin. It's online, so go have a laugh. Uh, but Nadira, meanwhile, finds James and Wu Ming Jin interesting contrasts. Um, I'm not as far along as James is in his career. You know, he's he's had much many more years of experience before, um, in front of him, and like I've yet to do my first feature film. I think with James it was more that like um, he didn't want it to become a job 
job, you know, to the extent, to the extent that it just made him fall in, fall fall out of love with with what he wanted to do. He, him and Ming Jin actually were really were in really interesting choices for the forum, because they both go about it different ways. Ming Jin would actually like he, he'll make his films local, like he'll make the telemovies and everything, but then also he'll make the films for an international audience. So that in that sense, he gets to do what he wants. Um, James, however, has like gone the other way and just like started doing films for, you know, started doing uh, films for web, you know, like um, putting his films on his older films as well on onto onto the YouTube channel. But he's also finding new young um, talented filmmakers to also make their short films. So he's got the Three Doors of Horror series, which is ongoing. So they'll do like a trilogy of horror films like every year, uh, which are all for web. But despite going on web, they will also still uh, travel to festivals, which is which is an exception because usually once you put your short films online directly, um, most festivals won't want to pick them up again. But you see examples of two filmmakers here, two Malaysian filmmakers, who have taken completely different paths in still being able to do the films that they want to make. Nadira's view, however, is that these two filmmakers have also had a taste of artistic liberty beyond the confines of local censorship and the lack of an audience, which puts them in a better position than most. Between the two filmmakers as well, they both kind of started off in the, the international film festival circuit. You know, um, we had like the independent new wave about like around the 2005s or, or around there, and then that was sort of like opened up Malaysian cinema to the world, um, especially through like Rotterdam Film Festival and other film festivals like Busan as well, uh, Singapore that really capitulated on Southeast Asian filmmakers. So they already had that grounding, they already had that confidence to be able to continue making the films that they wanted to make back home. If they started from Malaysia and their films were contained in Malaysia, just always, I don't know if they would still continue to make the films, uh, to, to continue making their films or making the kinds of films that they do today. Uh, I think it's really important as well that we have a balance between the films that you know are for, for a Malaysian market and the films that are that go overseas. I think right now um, a lot of the a lot of broadcasters or people who are putting money into films want to be able to see Malaysian films made at an international standard now. And we're not just talking about distribution like American dis- like North American distribution, we're also talking about like um, film festivals and the like. Naturally, the next question is, is it the fault of the Malaysian cinema goer? More on a sunny kind of love in just a bit on BFM 89.9. Happy Sunday, you're tuned in to A Sunday Kind of Love and I am Maya Tan. Now today we're talking about Film Film Underground and listening to conversations amongst Malaysian filmmakers about the state of our industry. Now earlier I asked the question, is the success or lack thereof of Malaysian films due to the lack of enthusiasm from Malaysian audiences? Is it the fault of the Malaysian cinema goer, the millions who scarf down popcorn like there's no diabetes and watch only comedy or horror or comedy horror? Nadira makes a point about our audience, but more importantly about the fact that not all Malaysian films would do well in international markets. And the uncomfortable thing is that it says a lot about us. To be honest, the Malaysian films that do the best are often like the most bigoted. The more sexist, the more racist, the more violent it is, the more Salah it is. Sometimes it tends to do really well at the box office. 
And if you have films sort of like Anu Dalam Botol or Ombat Rindu that do very well here, they kind of would not do well overseas because no person in their right mind wants to watch a film about a woman who falls in love with and marries her rapist. So maybe that's an example of how some Malaysian films would not be able to travel. Rewan Ishak also believes that the Malaysian audience needs to be groomed to be aware of the accolades that Malaysian filmmakers have received and to not be afraid to watch films made by our people. We need to groom the audience, this new audience. If you keep feeding them, it's the same thing, you know, like over the years. We won't move to another level. So I think we need to groom this audience to be prepared for this new generation of filmmakers. Like Dane Sayyid, Bunohan, all this, and Songla. We need audience for that. So I think we need to groom this audience uh, to be, I mean like for them to, to get ready, okay, this is a good movie. It's okay for you to watch, it's not like, it's not too deep, like too festival-like, you know. It's well-made commercial movies. Nadira also says that some Malaysian audiences have been scared off by first-time film efforts of questionable quality. And so in their minds, Malaysian films are not worth their weight in popcorn. When we talk about developing a film culture, what it means is just that, you know, like kind of everybody knows who Steven Spielberg is or George Lucas. It's a bit frustrating for me when somebody comes up to me and says like, oh, I really love films, but then they only quote European directors, like your Gaspar Sun, your Botolucci, you know, or whatever. And, but, if you, but if you ask them about who uh, to name Malaysian filmmakers, they probably only know two. So it becomes um, a bit dangerous when it doesn't even matter if you make a good film or a bad film if people don't know who you are. So the marketing side of it hasn't been particularly strong but also our film industry is very much uh, KL centric we're not it's not it's not na- at a national level yet outside of KL I don't think people really know how to follow who are who are the, who the filmmakers are but even within KL it's really it's really tricky I don't know I think like it it requires um like I think it requires that Finas actually, you know, puts all this information on the web on their website, you know, so that like if, for example, you know, Dane Side gets a golden horse for Bunuhan, like then that goes up on their social media, and that that goes up on their social media, that goes up on their website. It is in the news, and people actually like pay attention to it and know that okay, what what international film festivals mean, what these awards mean, who these filmmakers are, and what they're doing. Because a lot of the times, um, people don't know the kind of work that goes behind um, making films, but also the kind of um, achievements that they were getting. There are other constraints, even for commercial filmmakers. Wajib Tayang is a concept that means that cinemas in Malaysia are only required to screen Malaysian films for a minimum of two weeks. And if they don't hit certain box office targets, cinemas have the right to can the screening. So commercial or art house, Malaysian films are already off to a rocky start to begin with. And as I mentioned earlier, money is central to the survival of films and filmmakers alike. But the new director general at FINAS, Datuk Kamil Othman, is a man with a plan. He says that film development funds will increase and be made available to filmmakers in Malaysia. But film producers and directors will have to work to get it. Uh, Producers will have to get smart about asking for funds. Film directors will have to get more creative to tap into the funds that he holds in his hands. The money part is not really a problem as far as uh, I'm concerned. Why? Because the money is there. 
All we have to do right now is to try to creatively change the procedures. We'll buy the money, will now go into something that can be defensible. And what do I mean by defensible today? It's the script. I confess that I am a script freak. I want a good story. I've had enough of local films being made in a such a predictable fashion. Or where someone tries hard to make a film and you can see throughout that it is a filmmaker trying hard to make a film. I don't know whether I'm saying the right thing, but it's about getting natural. What I'm looking for is natural filmmakers. Uh, not as easy as it sounds, but this is how I tend to view it. Someone who just comes with an idea, like Nina says, just on a piece of paper, and from the way they talk, I can probably try to visualize what do they have in their head. The problem right now with Malaysia is not so much the lack of talent, but it's just that the people without the talent have one talent that the real filmmakers do not have, the ability to ask for grants, and the ability to know people where they can pull strings and, and try to pretend they are filmmakers. So what's the deal for filmmakers in Malaysia moving forward? As a young filmmaker herself, Nadira is hopeful. I, I'm very optimistic about the Malaysian film industry right now and where it is headed. Seeing some of the measures Afina has been taking up recently has been very encouraging, especially now that they've opened up the pitching center at uh, Platinum Central. So like, people can kind of go there and send in their scripts um, to, be, to be vetted and that kind of thing. They're trying to make it so that there is that the changes that are happening within the industry are sustainable. That we're focusing more on story and the quality of content. Uh, we're looking at you know supporting like, international productions uh, at Pinewood Studios. There's a there's a lot to look forward to, uh, but I think on the independent film scene, um, I think that maybe like our our young filmmakers just need confidence, really, to just kind of stop thinking so much. Stop thinking that you need to get experience and just go and do and make mistakes and have fun. Uh, we think about film as an industry so much, but sometimes people forget that it's also, most importantly, it's an art form. It's a form of expression, and you kind of should just go crazy and go nuts. Don't care about what other people are saying and just experiment, you know, and look forward to making mistakes and, and getting better. The way that the box office is going and the returns are going at the moment, um, it's a bit, it's a bit sad, lah. Um, but I think that we're gonna just have to find more reasons to gain confidence. In audiences are gonna have to, you know, we're, filmmakers are gonna have to find ways to sort of earn the the confidence and the support of film audiences all over again. So that's going to be our challenge now, lah. Um, so basically, at this point, there's nothing else that we should do other than just try to make the best films that we can. Coming up next, a glimpse at some of the short films that were screened as part of Film Film Underground. Before we get to that, this is I Want You by St. Raymond. The Sunday Kind of Love continues in just a bit on BFM 89.9. I've been wasting all my time on you We were just young something we outgrew Should I be on my way, eliminate the games we play? Should I be on my way, back home? Should I be on my way, you're leading me? 
You're listening to A Sunday Kind of Love. I'm Maya Tan. If you've just joined us, we're looking at independent films made by Malaysians. We spoke earlier about Film Film Underground, a showcase inaugurated by Finas to foster an appreciation for independent Malaysian films. And Josie and I, that's Josie Lu from our Weekend Bureau, we want to share our favourite moments from some of these films with you. Now, first up is Budak Baru. It was released in 2013, produced by Tuan Faisal Azmi, directed by Megat Sharizal, script written by Nadia Khan. The story is about Aslin, played by Farah Rani, who's a young doctor and she's really bright-eyed and bushy-tailed about her new housemanship. She has very idealistic visions of what being a doctor would be like, helping people, but she soon finds that the hectic public hospital system means she's unable to spend time to truly care for her patients. She meets Dr. Azmi, a jaded grumpy senior who doesn't share her enthusiasm and uh, pretty much shatters her fantasies. Hey, kau dah minta appointment CT scan untuk kata nombor dua yang bos minta tau? Belum. Belum? Kau buat apa ni? Kenapa aku suruh terus minta tadi? Tak, ada anak Pak Cik Karim yang kat kata 13 tu, uh, dia nak jumpa. Dia nak tahu keadaan ayah dia. Kau cakaplah kau busy. Yang kau pergi lain dia buat apa? Tapi dia nak tahu... Tahu apa? Ha? Tahu apa? Kau ingat kalau anak dia tahu, dia boleh ganti kerja dengan kau? Tak adalah. Ini kan soal kesihatan ayah dia. Ayah dia dah masuk dalam wad dah. Kita dah jaga dia kan? Kalau kau bersembang dengan anak dia, macam dia betis bapak dia tu, boleh baik. Tapi anak dia yang jaga dia. Mungkin kalau dia tahu masalah ayah dia, mungkin dia boleh... Boleh tolong... apa? Ha? Boleh apa? Boleh cakap dekat bapak dia tu supaya jangan makan manis, berhenti sokok. Dan kau pergi minta appointment CT scan tu sekarang. Sekarang. I love this film because it reflected Malaysian culture. Explained a lot about our public hospital systems. The message, well, idealistic delusions, no matter how well intended, have no place in Malaysia. And often, we Malaysians get jaded and stop caring, stop fighting the system, and the situation proliferates. I really love the composition of each shot in this film as well. Kudos to the DOP, Udin Musa, and director Mugat Sharizal. You go, Mugat! Next, we have Hujan Panas from 2011. This one is directed by Nadia Hamza and Mehmet Adam Barisever. It stars Beto Kushairi. It tells the story of Zaki, who has long dreamed about going to America. He enrolls himself in a business course and finds himself in New York City, in an apartment in Queens, with two illegal Indonesian immigrants, Ferdi and Mira. Now, Zaki is on the street and narrow, with a fiancé back home. But Ferdi and Mira, who aren't together romantically, they've obviously assimilated to the whole New York lifestyle. Anyhow, Zaki strikes up a bond with Mira and discovers that she's behind on her rent, with an irate Ferdi on her case every day, but she can't bring herself to leave New York. She even believes that once you get there, you can't ever leave the Big Apple. And so Zaki decides to help her out, but uh, just take a listen to this. Macam mana semua kat sana? Sihat? Sihat? Uh, abang, mesti kat sana macam mana? Cantik? Macam biasalah, tengah bandar, modern, New York kan? Okay, 
Tu nak saya tak tahu ada perempuan lain kat dalam ni. Terus kenapa? Awak pun tahu kan yang perempuan dengan lelaki bukan murim tak elok duduk satu rumah. Nanti kan kalau jadi apa-apa saya juga yang kena. Oh, jadinya kenapa? Okey dah. Saya tahu awak ni perempuan jenis yang macam mana. Perempuan murah. Perempuan murah? Jadi itu yang kamu fikir tentang aku? Kamu tuh baru datang. Tahu apa sih? There are very strong Wong Kar Wai influences in this one. Think Chungking Express. It's different, but there are influences, I believe. Now the message, Mira is a victim of the city. Zaki becomes a victim of Mira. And so life beguiles you, and then it takes from you. Okay, on to something lighter. Now, romance seems to be a theme with indie filmmakers. My Name is Francois was made about two years ago and submitted to the BMW Shorties competition. Francois is a DVD seller and a film noir fan. In his fantasies, he gets all dressed up as a noir detective and sweeps the feet off the object of his desire, Madeline. He recruits his best friend, Daya, who runs a souvenir stall nearby, and concocts a plan to woo Madeline with her help. He's of course totally oblivious to the fact that Daya is in love with him. Do you remember this plan? Ha? Setiap kali dia makan enam batang saja, jadi 20 minit sudah kau di mahamai. Setiap kali 8.30 ya, dia sudah bayar dan jalan daripada kereta. Sipi-sipi telah jumpa dia dengan kawan lama, Mr. Go. Saya tolong Mr. Go jalan laju sikit. Ha? Dia sampai sini awal sikit. Hai, tak ingat. Ajak dia makan sama-sama. Suar dia mau order dia punya favourite ketamu order dia. Ayy. Tak bila dah tahu kita sudah pinjam semua dia punya supply. Dia mesti marah-marah nak telus galau punya. Itu kali ya. Kita tengok kita punya Mr. Mutu Samir loh. Bila dia takutlah Laisa Loko. Laisa Loko, baru dia punya lighter mai. Lu mesti ada. Tolong buat kelentong sama dia, okey? Jadi lu senyum sama dia besar-besar ya. Kau pinjam lain tak tu cepat-cepat lah. Ngam-ngam soy merlain sampai. Now this film, My Name is Francois, was directed by Ismail Jamaluddin and stars Riza Rosli as Francois, Nawal Jess as Daya, and Don Cheong as Madeline. It's not as slick as the first two we've spoken about, but you know, this is no testament to Ismail's filmmaking. His film, Donna Must Die, made official selection and won awards in a host of international film festivals. You should try and look up Donna Must Die on YouTube. It's very film noir and graphic novel noir at the same time. A lot of fun. 
The next film we have here is the visually breathtaking Springtime Nostalgia. Set in Japan, the story is about a woman, played by Kiki Sugino, who loses her sense of smell after her lover, Akira Orihara, disappears. Her lover was really into Ikebana, and so as part of her search for him, she joins an Ikebana class where she meets an elegant Ikebana teacher, played by Kuoko Kudo, and her daughter, Eriko Ono, who may have a connection with her missing lover. This film is really unique because a lot of the meanings and messages are conveyed through visual metaphors with Ikebana as a motif. The Nishikata Film Review describes this film the best. Each frame and edit is meticulously thought out, just as the Ikebana artist selects flowers and branches, trims and arranges them carefully. And as with Ikebana, there are no unnecessary adornments in springtime nostalgia. The emphasis is on the actors and the settings. There's a very obvious lack of music, which allows us to focus our attention on the subtlety of the soundtrack made up of natural sounds, such as the sound of the Japanese bush warbler, whose call is iconic in springtime. The blog also states, quote unquote, words are inadequate to describe springtime nostalgia because so much of the story concerns ideas and feelings evoked by the visual metaphors of the film. The flower arrangements placed in scenes, petals on the ground, the actress and producer Kiki Sugino's expressive face as she contemplates the flowers that she cannot smell, and so on. Past and present overlap one another in this mysterious tale of love and loss, time and memory. Even the central protagonist herself is uncertain which parts of her story are real and which are dream. Try to catch it if you can. Springtime Nostalgia, directed by Edmund Yo. And that's all we have time for this week. Josie and I hope that you'll continue to support independent Malaysian filmmakers. I'm going to leave you with Hayley Kiyoko, Cliff's Edge. A Sunday Kind of Love continues next week with me, Maya Tan, on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.